In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations for things. Welcome to Shrinks Pod. My name's Hunter Mulcair. And I'm Amy Donaldson. And this is a podcast all about psychology. This is our 76th episode. And uh, what we thought we would do tonight is return to something that we did extremely early on, which was, I think, was episode four. Four, three. Three, three. This one's going to be better than that one. We're going to be talking about anxiety in children. Amy is going to take us through how parents can help their children when their child is anxious. It's going to be practical in approach. It's not going to be, you know, heavy theory, uh, research or anything like that. This is going to be all a practical conversation that you can listen to and apply. What we want you to be able to do through this or what Amy has told me that she wants us to be able to do is to think about ways in which we can recognize when our child or the child in your life is anxious, how we can talk about anxiety with them and what to do and most importantly, what not to do when your child's exhibiting these behaviours. Mm-hmm. So anxiety is fear, is worry, is, uh, you know, an overemphasis on control, things like that. Anxiety about when you want to separate from them, that kind of thing. And she's also going to cover when to hold up the white flag and seek out some help from a professional. You might be thinking, why now? It's December. Like, aren't kids feeling good in the year? <laughs> anxiety in children is a perennial problem, right? And... and particularly into 2021, which is when we're recording, anxiety is high for kids in the era of COVID. There's been a lot of anxiety talk about fears of infection. There's been a lot of uncertainty. School going back, school going in, school not going in, what are the parents doing, yada, yada. Kids haven't been able to see other kids. Hmm. Lack of exercise, right? Lack of social contact. Probably, and most importantly, they've lived with parents who have been stressed. <laughs> who have been, they've been living with parents who are not teachers and the parents have been trying to homeschool. And for most of us, myself included, not great at that, right? And then the parents have just been stressed because the parents have been out of sorts, right, yeah. in the era of COVID. So anxiety is a 2021 key issue, but more generally... Anxiety is like outside of that context. Anxiety left unchecked is damaging and extremely damaging. So like, and it's, you know, depression is the poster child of mental health, Mm. right? It it gets all the, you know, beyond blue and all this kind of stuff about, you know, know, my depression, stuff like that. Anxiety is far more prevalent and in my clinical opinion, far more damaging, Mm. right? It, It Left unchecked, it it hinders someone's development, it hinders someone's social life, it hinders someone's family function, it impacts on a large range of things. And if you are able to calm your son, calm your daughter, your niece, your nephew, your grandchild, if you are that calming influence, Mm. right, it will always pay dividends. And that's why Amy and I are particularly passionate about discussing this on this episode. So the, the structure of the pod is going to be pretty simple. Amy's going to diatribe. <laughs> well, actually, no, hopefully it'll be a conversation for about for about 40 to 60 minutes. We'll see how long we go. And then we're going to end up with our usual uh, sort of lighter side of segment things we came across. So before I throw to Amy, I'd like to remind you, 
If you like the pod uh, and you are a fan of it and you haven't done so already, please rate and review the show or maybe tell someone about it because word of mouth and ratings and reviews means that more people hear about our show and uh, more people find it and and motivates us to continue and Amy and I really enjoy doing this show. So I'm going to hand over to Amy. Mm -hmm. So just by way of intro, Amy is a child psychologist if you're not heard our show before me i'm a uh, health psychologist i work in with adults predominantly but i am a parent so i'm Mm. potentially qualified to (laughs) participate in this conversation you want to say that with confidence (laughs) no not really (laughs) not really beautiful so so where where are we going to start amy so the idea with this was i've i've delivered this content to groups of parents and then pretty much it forms the start of the treatment for most kids with anxiety because there are a lot of things that parents can do and often when they first come to therapy they don't know a lot about anxiety so we start with the basics and move on from there mm-hmm. what i want to start with is kind of a crash course in kids anxiety so how do you describe anxiety to your patients uh usually i ask them about like what are they worried about yeah or i think about you know when are you panicking or i talk to them a bit about like what's a physiological reaction yeah and um, that sounds like anxiety so you're looking at the cognitive element the physical element and the kind of emotional Mm -hmm. part of it yeah yeah we all need anxiety to some extent it's a motivating emotion a little bit like anger it kind of gets us moving gets Mm -hmm. us to do something and it's also really necessary for our survival if we didn't have it then we would put ourselves in dangerous situations and not be at all wary of mm. the big tiger, of you know the car coming towards us, any of that. Yeah. We would just be blissfully wandering around the world and probably getting into a fair bit of trouble along the way mm. or not surviving. <laughs> it's kind of got a core function. Yeah, yeah. I, I always say to my patients, two cavemen or two cave women walk out of the cave, mm. and the 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 cave person that looks at the big fluffy lion and goes oh my God, picks up a rock and kills it or runs away. Yeah. That one has kids. Yeah. And the cave person that looks and goes, oh, that's a lovely cat. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't have any kids. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's how anxiety has been evolutionary. Mm. Like, so we've needed down. it. Yeah. It's been, it's been necessary to it's keep helpful. on going. It's helpful. It's helpful in situations where we need to respond quickly without thinking. It has a really useful purpose the problem with anxiety that we're going to talk about and that is often the focus for psychologists is when that anxiety becomes bigger than what it should be or grows goes into all different parts of your life or takes over so it becomes a more permanent state or a more ongoing state rather than just being a brief gasp or shock when you almost get hit by a car Mm. it's that taking over and becoming hyper aware of things that really aren't that dangerous or that you don't need to be worried about all of the time. So with adults, you tend to hear, when you work with adults as a psychologist, you tend to hear more things about worries or about they use the words, I'm feeling anxious, with the exception of the ones who aren't that aware of their body or of what's going on, and they'll say things like um, they might be having panic attacks and think they're having a heart attack, Mm. or they present with physiological symptoms like an upset stomach or headaches. Mm. People can often identify when they're feeling worried or stressed. Mm. But not anxious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think I I would say 
that in a general population. In a general population, yeah. look, yeah. I would say that there is a large component of education of adults around. Mm. Mm, that sounds like anxiety, but I think what you're trying to get to is that adults are usually they've much, got some words. They've got words yeah. to be able to say. I'm. I was stressed. I was worried. I was panicky. It might not be 100 percent accurate, but no. they can get something out. They can go. Something's wrong. Yes. And, and I don't like it. I don't like this feeling. Something mm. isn't the way I normally am. Yep. Something's off. Yep. Whereas for kids, they often can't do that. They often can't even... They'll know that something's wrong sort of in their gut, but they don't know what it is mm-hmm. and they can't quite put it into words. And how come they can't? What do you reckon? It's a whole bunch of factors. Some of it is just basic development of their awareness of their body, of how they're thinking... The other part is kids aren't great at knowing what's normal and what's not because mm-hmm. for them, everything's the center of the universe. <laughs> so whatever's happening to them is how you're supposed to be in the world. It's just normal. Yeah. So they might, when I ask them, do you think your friends think about these things as much as you? It's a pretty good indicator of where they're at cognitively because mm. the little ones will go, I don't know what my friends think. I guess they think the same as me. I I don't know. The older ones will kind of go, well, some people seem a bit worried sometimes and other people not so Mm. much. And maybe it's, they've got a bit more of that cognitive Mm -hmm. ability to go, this isn't right and it's different to what other people go through. Mm. Is it about 11? Is it that they start their capacity for abstract thought? Yeah, yeah. And the idea, they, they start to learn that other people have feelings and views that aren't theirs from about... Four. Yeah. But they struggle to figure out what they are <laughs> in yeah. that window. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. The other thing is that anxiety presents differently in kids. What do you notice in your kids when they're anxious or worried? I guess uh, quick to quick to anger mm-hmm. or quick to yell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably the, the, the things that come to mind. Yep. Yep. That's one thing that's pretty common. Yeah. So often I get referrals for kids who are having tantrums in inverted commas who are losing it over stuff that seems out of proportion to what they should be upset about others have a lot of worries they're sort of thinking about things all the time if they hear anything on the news they're preoccupied with it Mm. and it comes out in their play or in the questions that they ask lots of questions and checking is a pretty Mm. common one so like when are we going to the pool Where am I going to find my bathers? Who's going to be there? When are we going to the pool again? Are we going to get in the car and go there? Are we going to walk there? All of that kind of... Or or like, you know, the classic thing might be that you might be in a a public place or something and tell your kids, just be quiet and don't do this thing. Mm. Like you you might be moving to get away from someone who looks a bit dangerous or something. You know, guys, come on, come on with this. And then they would pick up that there's something wrong and they'd be like, why? Why are we moving away? What's going on? And you're like, oh my God. That's exactly the thing I didn't want you to do. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I think for parents, a good way of picking up like when your child is anxious is are you getting frustrated by their behavior? <laughs> yeah. If you're getting frustrated by their behavior, good chance yep. that that behavior is being driven by anxiety. Yeah. Right now, the thing is that a lot of parents won't view their child's behavior as anxiety. Exactly. Right. Which is a big part of that first kind of responding. Yeah. Is being able to recognize that that's what it is because kids often express things in a different in a different way. the The other thing that comes up a lot is generally being grumpy and irritable. So that kind of what you spoke about, that quick temper thing. But throughout the day, they've been grumbling about things. You ask them to do something and it's like, no, nah, I don't want to. 
or there's just something there that feels like they're pushing back on everything. Mm, that, that word oppositional. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, well, what's the, what's the hold up here? What's yeah. the thing that they're putting the brakes on for? Physical things are really common. Okay. In kids in particular, it pretty much goes cross-culturally, the physical side of things, whereas in adults, there's often a cultural component to that. Like there are particular cultures that experience anxiety as just stomach aches, for example, whereas in Western society, it's not as common as, say, in Indian or Asian cultures where you don't say you're anxious, you say, I have a stomach ache. And in kids, it's all about the feelings, the physical feelings. So it's stuff like stomach aches, headaches, tiredness, injuring themselves and not actually being that bad. And then them going, oh, this thing really needs like a Band-Aid and an mm. ice pack and a mm. bandage and a whole big thing. They're sort of, it's physically felt. Nail biting mm. and toenail biting, which every kid that I ask looks shocked that I've considered that. But primary schoolers in particular will do it. If your kid's getting a lot of... um. Nail infections, toe related, that's what's happening in bed. Uh, they're biting their toenails or I've their never, cuticles. Never heard that, yeah. Yeah, it comes up a fair bit and they're all quite ashamed of it because it's not like fingernail biting is kind of pretty run of the mill. Mm. But kids will do that in private. Working with kids in summer is often quite useful because you can see their toes. They'll come mm. in in sandals and you'll kind of go, well, it's been happening this week. Yeah. Yeah. I think like also re- repetitive behaviors. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, I guess it could be anything. Mm. Because then, and I understand that it's like, it's, you do something repetitively, it's like a sense of control. Exactly. Yeah. And so you'll also see it in possessiveness and controlling behavior. Okay. So having trouble sharing a bit more than usual, needing to control play with other people of like, can be mild from, no, we're going to play Lego instead of Minecraft. Or it can be, we're playing this, you can have these blocks you can only use these figures. When we act it out, you can only be these characters and you need to say these things. Like it can be quite intense and really cracking it if the other person doesn't do what they want them to do. Yeah. Um, and it's that same control thing. Quiet, becoming withdrawn. That's often the kids that don't get picked up early because it's well they're behaving themselves well. Mm. They're not causing a fuss. Mm. They're fine. Yeah, and so the what happens they get neglected, yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think what happens with when kids are being frustrating yep. or a parent, you know, like not doing what a parent needs them to do and then the parent can double down on either being controlling or yep. getting cross or, you know, rejecting and then that can make the child feel unsafe and, yep. then, and then feeds the anxiety more. And so you get, I would imagine a lot of your work would be around trying to pick up those patterns and mm-hmm. then educate parents around it and break the cycle. Yeah. Essentially. And the same thing happens at school because yeah, the teachers right. are relieved that they've got some kid in their class that's quiet. Yeah. And so they often don't pick up that that kid is actually too anxious to talk to their friends mm. or whatever because they're dealing with the squeaky wheels. They're not yeah. dealing with the kid who's withdrawn. The last one is stuff about reluctance to try new things, to adapt, to change. They're kind of stuck. They want to do things the same way all of the time. Mm. And if you try and push them to do something new, all hell breaks loose. Or they just won't. You know, they won't try a new food. They won't try a new thing at the playground. It's just, no, not going to happen. So in terms of why it's not always clear, part of what we spoke about is that kids' awareness of emotions is a bit, you know, they're learning. We also don't talk to them much about it. Like unless there's something going wrong, a lot of parents wouldn't label their kids' emotions or talk to them about what their emotions were. Like, And even in 
movies, TV, whatever, there's the big emotions. There's someone's angry, someone's happy, excited. But it's not the subtle things like disappointed or things like that. Those words aren't used. Mm. And apart from faces. Yeah, and like parents don't say, I'm anxious about this thing Mm -hmm. because most parents will be like, I'm trying to protect my child and I don't want the child to worry. Yeah. Yeah. And so instead, the kid reads you really well because they're... Good at reading. They're good at reading their sponges and they know that something's wrong with mum or dad, that something's up. And then because they're focused on themselves 99% of the time, they go, it's something to do with me. Mm. Yeah. So then you can end up with situations where kids are feeling like they've done something wrong when actually they haven't. You're worried about something over there. Mm. And it wouldn't even occur to you that they might be worried about what they've done wrong. Mm. Well, or, or what I would say is that you might be preoccupied Mm. Um, a parent might be preoccupied with work stress or family stress or or, or whatever it is you know you might be you know health your own health stress that you clearly wouldn't talk to your children about or something and then the children a parent might not then respond in the most supportive way to a child and then that the parent might get cross or the parent might be rejecting or the parent might be absent or whatever yeah. and then that feeds like goes so, into a loop so yeah so it yeah can be, it can be quite complicated yeah it's pretty rare that there's one factor it yeah. all kind of bounces off one another and feeds into itself yeah and, and like so when i work with adults yeah you have to do a lot of detective work to sort of say well it sounds like your parents were really busy at that time yeah and yes they were rejecting but maybe it was because they were doing these things and they couldn't attend to your needs mm. right which is still quite complicated yeah right? yeah and especially for people who have had that experience when they're really little because the younger they are the more they've got that I'm the center of the universe vibe okay and the less the less they're able to accommodate that their parents might be focused on other things or even other siblings like well no it should be focused on me all of the time because I'm I'm the center yeah and it it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with that that it's part of childhood development that they start with themselves and then it opens up to the outside world but it does mean that if they're ever uncertain about anything that's the direction it goes so how can you help is the next section and i want to start with a little bit of a disclaimer this isn't about doing the right thing every time very much a fan of good enough parenting so if you hear some things in this and go oh i do that sometimes or i don't do that enough it's not that you're a bad parent we're all human and it's going to vary day to day how much you're able to attend to these things. It's mm. that you do it enough, like good enough, and that if something goes wrong and you later on kind of go, oh, shit, I missed that thing yesterday when they got home from school and they weren't in mm. a good place. And then you stress about it all night. That's not going to help. It's not going to help. But in the morning, you can repair. You yeah. can check in. Yeah. And what's more important than anything is the repair. If you crack it, it's about the, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. Let's work this thing through. Yeah, and la- uh, labeling it as, sorry, I mm-hmm. lost my temper, not you made me do that. Exactly. Right? So what you're doing is you're locating the control in the parent, in mummy mm. or in daddy. And then the child will get confused by that, but then we'll be like, okay, well, maybe it's not me. It's not my fault. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing I say to particularly my childless colleagues mm. is, 
parenting is just like endless opportunities to fail. Oh, yeah. Like you, there is just so many ways to screw up. On any all day, sin- every day. <laughs> all day, any day. And, you know, so getting your kids three meals a day mm-hmm. and they mostly have clean clothes. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. That mostly fit. Mm-hmm. You're doing okay. Yeah. Right. And this is about, I guess finding ways to take the pressure off parents yeah. and getting parents to attend to what they can yeah. and, and maximizing the good times with the kids rather than being the perfect parent. Exactly. Because if you try and be the perfect parent, you fail. Yeah. Yeah. And the other portion to this is that at first it might sound like it's more work than what you're doing now, but actually, and more time. So often when you go through this stuff with parents, they're like, oh, but I just needed to, like, I just need to get in the car and go yes. in the morning. I just need to get out of the house. But the thing that I think we all often forget is that when we're used to doing something and we, when we're used to a battle, we forget about the amount of time that it takes to have that battle. Mm. So we might go, well, yeah, if, if everything could just go smoothly in the morning, we'd get out of the house in time mm-hmm. and it'd all be fine. Mm-hmm. The fact that it doesn't most mornings is a pain. And so ch- I don't have time to change it. Because I don't have time to get in the car on time already. Yeah. I don't have time to add in something different. Yeah. But actually what tends to happen is if you try out some of these things and give it a go over multiple days, not just once and then that's it, never yeah. try it again. Yeah. You start to get into a bit of a routine where you can help your kids with the core of what's actually stopping them getting out of the house and then speed up that process. And it's far more pleasant for everybody. And I guess I kind of think even if it takes the amount of time as the argument, you actually get in the car in a better mood than if you had the argument. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because like as you talk about it, like my internal parental yeah. Your body language is, is just like, is, no. It's like, I re- like, it's very hard to believe. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I'm trying to be open about that for the for the purpose of the pod mm. because it's a normal doubt. But I, in parent language, yeah. I would think about what you're trying to say is is in there's a there's a way in which we want it to be and so and so a parent might react forcefully yeah or angrily or or, or controllingly and what Amy's talking about is if we can reduce that mm. you'll lower the anxiety and that's going to help the child and also help you mm. have a better time yeah and it's probably going to take the same amount of time in the morning. Yeah. And then over time... That's what we mean. Yeah. Yeah. And over time it gets quicker because the kid gets used to the fact that, oh, okay, if I freak out and I don't want to go out the front door or something happens and I get anxious and I can't find my shoes, it's actually we're going to be able to figure this out. And so it helps them learn the skills to then be able to cope with the anxiety and lessen it over time. Yeah, yeah. Often when I do this content in a group, we get everybody to pick one thing that they're going to try that week just once. Not Mm -hmm. every day, just one thing that they're going to try. And then they report back on how it went and we figure out how to sort it out. So what kind of things do people pick out? So the common... The common points that come up with just about everybody is leaving the house in the morning to go to school, Mm -hmm. going to bed, and anything to do with trying something new, change, etc. So like going to a new swimming class or meeting a new friend or having to go to a different school or anything that's change related would Mm. be the three most common things that come up. Different kids have different things. Oh, and also separation. 
That's mm. the that's the fourth. Is any time when often it's about the parent leaving the kid rather than the kid leaving the parent. So it's not about being apart. It's about you've left me rather than I've left you, <laughs> mm, mm, which mm. feels like it should be the same. You're still not together. But for kids, it's like I've got no control over this situation. You've yeah. gone. So, yeah. So, like, if you get to a thinking like an outdoor kids party yeah. and you get there and the kid sees their friends and bolts off yeah. versus, say... You drop them off at daycare and yeah, have to okay, leave. Yeah, yeah, daycare. Daycare is a classic one, isn't it? You yeah. see, the, see the, the, the mums out the front dealing with the child, you know, almost getting the childcare centre workers to, like, get the jaws of life to prise the child off. Exactly. <laughs> so the yeah. poor mum can get to work on time. <laughs> exactly. Or deal with the other children or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And often for adults, the closer it gets to the thing that you're trying to get to, then the more your agitation goes up. And so the kid's agitated, the kid then sees that you're agitated. Yeah, right. And it becomes this feedback cycle where you're both escalating one another. <laughs> it's like the like in the Himalayas, like the danger zone above yeah. eight thousand meters. And yeah. it's like everyone could die yeah. right here. That's <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I'm gonna go through a few things that you can do and some of them might seem ridiculously simple, mm. but because they're so simple we often forget to do them. Yeah. Because we just go, Well, surely they know that already. So the, the very first one is to label what you think your kid's going through and link it to something physical that you can see or that you think they might be feeling. Okay, so what does that mean? So things like, you've got a pretty frowny face this morning and you feel like feeling worried. Or I've noticed that you're biting your fingernails some more. Have you got a funny feeling in your tummy? Mm-hmm. Or are you feeling nervous? And so it's about linking it or even saying, when I feel worried, sometimes I don't want to do what other people want me to do. I just want to stay here. Mm. And often kids will look at you like you're a magician. Mm. Like, how did you possibly know that that was a Mm. thing? But it's about giving them the words and exposing them to the idea that the words are linked to something that they're feeling. And if you can do it physically, that's great because kids are all about being in their bodies. Yeah. And I guess guess the, the key thing I would get on top of that is for parents to be non-judgmental. Yeah. So I'm noticing you're frowning a bit Mm. and you're being a bit grumpy with your sister. Yeah. Are you worried? Yeah. Rather than going, you're being grumpy. I think you're worried. Exactly. It's all about the tone, the softness of the tone. Yeah. And so so one's going to help. Yeah. One's One's probably not going to help. Yeah. And it's okay to get this wrong. So a lot of parents do. They often mislabel what the emotion is or what's going on. Kids tell you. That's what I love working about working with kids. If I say to them, that sounds like something that you got angry about. They'll go, no, I wasn't angry. I was this. Yeah. And so once they start to learn the words, then they do correct you because they don't really care about pulling you up on things. Yeah. They're pretty, pretty direct Yeah. as a general rule. So making those links and just even starting to have that conversation about the emotion word starts to give them some tools to be able to notice it, even if they get it wrong in themselves. Yeah. There's the beginning of that, those seeds of, yeah. hang on, this might be happening. If you're worried about something and they notice and say, are you okay? Or something like that, which some kids do, particularly anxious ones, will check in on how you're doing a bit more than mm. the ones who aren't anxious. Mm. Being able to say, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried today. I've got a bit of an upset stomach, but, and then sort of making sure that they know they don't have to fix it. Mm. So, but it's a grown up thing that I'm sorting out. Or, but I'm going to take a couple of deep breaths and calm down. Something that I've 
I've got control of this. You don't have to do it. Mm. But acknowledging that you are worried, stressed, whatever, because the kids already know it. <laughs> like they they do as much yeah. as everybody tries to hide it. And I think with COVID, that's been the big pattern with sessions with parents is that they've gone, well, yes, I was really stressed at work and whatever, but they didn't know it. And you'll kind of go, so where were the kids doing homeschooling? And they'll go, oh, in the other part of the lounge room where I was working and having meetings and things and you kind of go yeah were there ever any tense conversations like, yeah. yeah every day but because they're really trying to protect their kids and trying to make it things are okay they go well it's mm. better to not say it i think we were all also raised in a generation where you didn't talk about feelings mm. and mum and dad would just go it's fine yeah um I mean, so I, this look, is new i mean i think a rule of thumb mm. should be for parents to assume that your child will know when something's up. Yeah. They might not know they, they might not know what's up. Yeah. And they might not be able to label what that emotion is. Mm-hmm. But they will know that mum or dad is not right. It's not right. It's not right. the usual. Yeah. And 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 they're very good at reading. Yeah. Well, because because their mum and dad are their their whole world. Mm. They're 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 their safe base. Yeah. Right. And yep. so and if they can't rely on their safe base then they feel more uncertain in the world. Yeah. And then if you're essentially lying to your child, mm. right? Um, They've got great bullshit detectors. Yeah. They know. But, but they they know, but then they can't trust you. Exactly. Right? And they, and or their own feeling because yeah. often it makes them a bit unsettled. And then it's like, so then they start to think, well, if mum and dad are saying that they're fine, then, and they actually are fine, then this thing that I'm feeling mustn't be anything because it's, well... The alternative is that mum and dad aren't telling the truth mm. and that this feeling is something. Mm. And I can tell you as someone who works as an adult, it's the people who don't, who aren't able to recognise their emotions because yeah. they've been blocked off from them or they haven't had a supportive adult. They're the ones that struggle and they're the ones that more frequently end up in therapy. Yeah. yeah. And if you're having trouble with the whole labelling what your kid's emotion is, Trying to think of an adult equivalent can sometimes be helpful. So if you're finding yourself getting frustrated that they're upset about a particular thing and it feels like nothing to you, thinking about an adult version can sometimes help. So for example, say you tell them that they have to share their new toy with their mm-hmm. sister and they won't and you start getting frustrated because it's like, well, it's just it's just a Lego set or it's just a squishy. It's nothing major what's the big deal? Just let her have a turn for a couple of minutes. Mm. Thinking, well, how would I feel if I had to give my car to someone else? How would I feel about that? Mm. I'd feel pretty agitated if I didn't want to do that. And someone said to me, no, you have to give your car to your sister, Mm. your friend, whatever. Mm. I'd I'd feel pretty worried about my car. I'd want it back. Mm. I might be annoyed at them for asking. Mm. 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 I'd want some choice. Yeah. So doing a bit of that, oh, hang on a minute, like, or if they don't want to go to into their new class next year, going, well, okay, it's with everyone that they know already. And then going, well, how did I feel going back into the office after COVID? Mm. So oh, I, hang on, I, so I was anxious. I, I, I was seeing more of like, let's get those kids off the iPads. Yep. Right? Because the parent wants to get the evening underway. Mm-hmm. And like, but it's like, how would you feel if I said, all right, well, three quarters way through the Game of Thrones, you yep. need to stop that episode. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell you when you're going to be able to get back on. <laughs> exactly. And watch it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That kind yeah. Of you'd thing. be pissed off. Yeah. You go, but I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. yeah. And so kids are no different. It's just that what's important to them isn't often what's important yeah. to us. Yeah. It's something that might feel a little bit more frivolous or small. 
Yeah. Because it's not, it doesn't feel as momentous as what yeah. our own things do. Yeah. To and, us. and, you know, their whole world might be My Little Pony mm-hmm. or Minecraft. And then, but then, yeah, if you're dismissive of it, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So after you've helped with the labeling side of things, the other portion of the puzzle is thinking about your own reactions to your kids. And this bit is the bit that most parents find the most challenging and really don't want to do. (laughs) And it's often a lot of my job as a child psychologist is going, we actually need to think about this because it's a relationship. It's not just your kid on their own on an island. Mm. You guys are together. So this is about thinking about what your patterns are when your kid gets anxious and what you tend to try and do. So there'll be some parents who launch straight into trying to fix whatever the problem is for their kid. There's no kind of getting them to experiment and work out what to do. It's like, oh, just give me that, I'll do it. For others, they get angry or frustrated and it, it's about shutting the emotion down and getting on with it. It's kind of like, off mm, we go. Mm. And that one's really common. The other bit is... I think it's particularly for time poor parents. Yeah. yeah. And if it's stuff like the getting out of the house in the morning one, like situations, <laughs> it'll be like, but I have to get to work. Yeah. Like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Yeah. Telling them they don't have to do it. So there'll be some parents that will accommodate anything that their kid mm. is anxious about. Mm-hmm. And all the rules will be bended, all of the things that mm. normally would happen. Because often for those parents, they're quite anxious about their kids getting anxious. It makes them yeah, right. so feel stressed. Toler- yeah. And I, yeah. I think, I think well, what's a parent's tolerance for their child's distress? Yeah. And so for some parents, they will have no tolerance at all. Yeah. Right. And so they'll be overly permissive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas... You're, or all the way the other way yeah, yeah, of so like yeah. you're not going to feel any emotion at all. We shut this down. Well, no. Well, well yeah. There's there's that. Yeah. But then also, I was thinking about like parents who would be like, "It's okay to be upset." Mm-hmm. Yes. Look, it is scary trying something new, but you need to go and do it. Yeah. And overshooting that too much, you know. Yeah. And so I guess I always think about a seesaw. You exactly. know, it's, it's hard to stand in the middle of a seesaw. Like a, a teeter-totter, I think yeah. is what the friends in America call it. Yeah. And whereas humans usually land on one end or the other. Yeah. But being on the extremes is not so good. Whereas like as a parent, you probably want to try you and be, be in the, middle. in the middle. Yeah. yeah. You, you want to be permissive at times, but, you know, you need to go do stuff. Yeah, exactly. At other times. And, yeah. yeah. And then there's, there's some parents who have had difficult things happen themselves. Perhaps they've got a trauma history or they've okay. got mental health stuff that's quite intense. And they might become more worried than the kid about the anxious situation. So it's not just we're going to avoid that situation, but then the kid will see that the parent is really anxious about them, you know, learning how to swim, for example. Okay. And the parent will get really agitated and have trouble controlling that themselves and will start talking about their own worries about that. Like, oh, yeah, what if you drowned? What if, you know, no one was there to catch you? What Mm. if? And so it's... It never comes from a malicious or a deliberately negative kind of space. It's usually about well, the parent. I think it can, Amy. Well, it can. Yeah. yeah. But it tends to be about the parent being agitated yeah. and whatever. Whereas yeah. the the more malicious stuff often is the dismissive stop crying. Yeah. Like, okay. The, that tends to be more yeah. with anxiety. Yeah. With other emotions, it's different. But with anxiety, it tends to be more the parents who have more severe mental health stuff going on or who are dealing with a lot of stuff at the time, mm. a lot of their own worries, 
tend to then do that. And we, I don't see that very often, but it can come up and it's worth thinking about if it's something that you do. I think it happens a lot, actually, yeah? because I, th- I think it happens for parents who are who don't have severe mental health problems mm. but who carry around anxiety themselves yep. then they teach their child so if you grow up with an anxious parent yeah then and your parent is being overly cautious all the time don't do this don't do that you know then the child learns that the world is dangerous yep. right? and they can't handle it yeah so um I know someone who nervous in the water, like yep. swimming, right? And it was because their parent wore glasses. Yeah. And then when they get into the into the ocean, oh, they couldn't see. They couldn't see, and so the parent was always really anxious about about what was going on. Yeah. And then would feed this anxiety, and so this person who could swim reasonably well, yeah, carries around this anxiety. Mm. As, a, as an older person. And it's kind of like a... That, that's, and yeah. so that's sort of what you mean. Right? Yeah, and it's, it's a bit of a spectrum. There'll be some parents who it's, you can just feel that they're anxious. They'll be hovering that sort of go oh, the into the world, the helicopter kind of parent. Mm. There'll be others who will say, list to their kids the things that they should be afraid of. And that's the end that tends to be someone who's more distressed in their day-to-day life because they'll spell it out for their kids what they're worried about. But I thought you said, like, we're meant to label stuff. <laughs> Not their own worries about things that are hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> but but that, that would be a fair question, right, for, yeah. you, for a parent in your parent group, which yeah. is like, but you just told me to label it and I'm labeling it. Yeah, exactly. It's about labeling what's going on for them. Yeah. And if it's about you, it's it's simple. It's... I'm worried and I've got this thing under, I'm doing something. What about, just to challenge you with yeah. that, what about if you are a parent, you're worried about something and I haven't got this thing? Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm worried about a family member who's unwell. Yep. I'm worried about us getting to school on time yep. because everyone's <laughs> effing around. Yep. I'm worried about my job during COVID. Yep. I'm worried about depends COVID. a bit on like, severity, you know, like, and so like, so there's might be like, a, I'm worried about work, but it's going to be okay. I think yeah. a lot of like most parents can, could, could probably say that. Yeah. But I think that there's like, there's a whole, it doesn't have to be that the whole, things. yeah, it doesn't have to be that the whole situation is going to be okay. It's that you are doing something and it's not for them to worry about. So it might be, you know, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen yet, but I'm doing what I can to find out or I'm doing what I can to sort out this issue. Mm. There's some sense of I'm the one who's responsible for this. That's yeah. the main message. Rather than I'm anxious, you need to make me feel better. Yeah. That's that's what yeah, we're after. What we, what we want to stop is children feeling the need to look after their parent exactly. and becoming parentified. Yeah. And if you're seeking solace out of your children, right, that's not going to be helpful for your child yeah. long term. Yeah, exactly. And like if you're someone who gets anxious yourself, it can be really hard seeing your kid feeling anxious. And a lot of parents bring up things like, oh, what if they're going to turn into me when they grow up? Okay. What if they get as anxious as I do? What if this is forever? Mm. And so that that stuff, any of those worries about, they're really about yourself more than about the kid. Mm. And so those things are stuff to work on with your own psychologist or in your own managing your anxiety. And then part of the the message to the kids is, yes, mummy does get anxious about things and 
these are the like I'm, I'm trying some things or I'm going to go and talk to someone and try and figure it out or I need to go and have five minutes sitting outside or I need to take some deep breaths whatever it might be that's kind of putting a, a break and showing that anxiety can be controllable mm. it doesn't feel controllable for a lot of people and mm. so that's where I say the kind of getting other help to help with that mm. and I imagine like the parents can see their child being anxious mm. And think if I don't fix this anxiety, I'll, I'll always have it rather yep. than viewing it as a temporary thing. Emotion like we all have. It's, you know, they're just out of lockdown or yep. they're just starting the new term and that's an anxious period. But actually they generally settle after a bit or yep. something. Just the same way that if you're giving presentation at work, yeah, you might be anxious at the start, but by the end you're relaxed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So as a basic rule, if you're finding yourself getting agitated that your kids are agitated, stop what you're doing. And if you can possibly pause and take a deep breath as a starting point, that is amazing. Even if you can step into another room, the basic rule with this is if they're physically safe, it doesn't matter if they're screaming the house down. If you need to have a deep breath in the kitchen, that's okay. Mm. As long as they're not like you don't leave them on the road and go and sit in the car for five minutes mm-hmm. like the kid has to be physically safe and then you can have a minute <laughs> to just breathe go okay what is it that i'm doing here it doesn't have to be a quick response yeah. or a quick repair yeah, yeah, yeah and often that will do a lot better than you trying to push through while you're seething with anger or that you're you know really anxious or mm. preoccupied with other things you're mm. actually better taking that time mm. i'd say more than one breath yeah, yeah. ideally five some parents will only agree to do one for a starting point yeah build up to it see what you can do yep and then when you feel Uh, like i love i love the psychologist like that we're bargaining to say oh yeah like like this thing's gonna make you feel better no i will only do one of them (laughs) absolutely 90 percent of the work (laughs) could you imagine like I'll only have one glass of expensive French yeah. champagne. It's like, or like going to the doctor and getting antibiotics and going, I'm not taking the full, I'm taking oh, one I'll take dose. one. Yeah. <laughs> no, you need to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so if that idea of like leaving them alone for the time it takes to take five breaths is too much, just do one, test it out, see what happens. And then when you go back, you can do things together so that you both calm down together. So I'm going to go through a couple of options. I'm so skeptical, but yeah. I know, right? So then once you're ready to return to the situation, presuming, of course, your kid hasn't followed you into the kitchen to continue screaming and things like that, which they will, and that's Mm. where it falls into the, this isn't probably going to go as planned interaction. It's the opportunities where you can try this out is what we're after, not universally apply it to everything. Mm. There are things that you can do to calm down together. So each kid will have a preference with this stuff. And so you're going to have to try out what works for your kid. The one thing that I start everybody on is bubbles. So bubbles are a magical thing. Small bottles so that the you've got like individual little wand, bubble wand things. Mm. Most kids, regardless of how they're feeling, will blow bubbles if you put them in their proximity or hand them to them. Even if they're absolutely raging. Like I've had kids destroying my office and I go, oh, hey, I found some bubbles and they'll, they might break one more thing and then they get distracted by the bubbles. See, see my, 
my parent experience of bubbles is that the shortest moment of time mm. is the period between handing a child a bottle of bubbles and then and tipping, tipping it, it over. Out. Yep. And you're like, what are you doing? Yep. Yeah, so you yeah. need to make sure that the bubbles that you buy, so there are the ones that came out here in Australia, yeah. the lids are easy to open. They don't have those seal things that you have to peel off. Mm. The wand doesn't get stuck in the tube so they don't have to stick their little fingers in there and then end up knocking the whole thing over. Like there's a whole bunch of... I can put a link in the thing about which bubbles, <laughs> but it's it's <laughs> relevant. Pod sponsored by bubbles. Bubbles from Kmart. Yeah. Um, it's it's it does make a difference because they need to be able to get into them quickly. Yeah. But the point with bubbles is that to blow a bubble, you have to breathe slowly. You can't if you breathe too quickly, the bubble pops. Mm. If you breathe too slowly, you don't get a bubble. And so kids become so focused on actually getting a bubble that they start breathing better than what they did before. And if you're doing it together, then they tend to copy you. So if you go, hey, blow a really big one, they'll mm. try and match or try and beat you. So why is breathing, let's yeah. just cover this for a second. Why is breathing important when you as a parent is mm. are frustrated Yeah. and when your child is anxious? So breathing helps to slow down your nervous system. Yeah. Basically, it helps bring down your heart rate, bring down your... Breathing rate, bring down your cortisol it levels. It activates the parasympathetic exactly. response. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so if you wear a Fitbit or something, doing, you know, taking a few deep breaths and seeing how your heart rate drops can be quite surprising to people who don't think that breathing will do anything. Like spending a minute breathing and then your heart rate does drop. Slow down. Yeah. yeah. And so when we're anxious, it does the opposite. Yeah. It speeds up. Our breathing speeds up. Well, it becomes shallow. Exactly. Yeah, or, or you don't do it at all. Yeah, exactly. So that's so one thing, anything about breathing. The other thing is most kids will want to squeeze something when they're anxious or angry. <laughs> You'll see them squeezing a toy. They might break things. Their sibling. Their sibling. <laughs> yeah, they'll grab their sibling's arms or legs. Yeah, right. Yep, they'll pinch. There's an element to that. I wouldn't recommend saying to your kid, you need to squeeze something you're anxious. Instead, I'd just hand them or throw them something squishy <laughs> so like a squishy toy or a putty kind of thing or something that they squeeze mm. usually again they can't resist it once they've got their hands on it they then start doing it often while glaring at you like this thing won't work but they get absorbed in the aspect of it and that helps the you're looking s- skeptical <laughs> the other thing is rhythm or movement so getting them to tap their feet or drum they can drum as hard as they like. They can break stuff. Don't do it on another person. <laughs> Some kids will turn to their sibling and go, I'm just going to drum on their body, mm. which isn't so good when they're angry. No. But anything with rhythm, putting on music, dancing in the car while you're driving to school, anything that's left, right side of the body helps to regulate. And then the last thing is something that's got a wanky name, which is prosody which is about using a sing-song voice like you're talking to a baby. So give us an example. And you're like, oh, I can see that, you know, things aren't going so well, are they? All right, let's go over here and just see what we do. Like there's the up and down, mm-hmm. like you're talking to a baby. The reason why this works is that that anxiety system is activated by low rumbling noises and we stop being able to understand speech when we're really anxious and there's low stuff happening so if you go gruff Mm. and stern it just ups it whereas if you go high it taps into the parasympathetic nervous system and soothes them 
because essentially they're functioning at the level yeah. of the baby. Yeah, and I think for I think for men, yeah, it's a hard go, one. We go for just do this thing or, or whatever it is, yeah. and it's always having fun having dads in groups because they get them to try this one out all together, and they yeah. end up in fits of laughter. Yeah. But then they'll come in the next week and go, "It went really well." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could sort of, you can certainly see because it it would also require a parent to break out of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And often it'll make the kids giggle when the dads do it. So it brings in a humorous element that might not be there. When the mums do it, not so much. Yeah. But because it is higher than the dad's usual voice, the kid will then start laughing or rolling their eyes or whatever. And that breaks the tension yeah. a little as well. Yeah, because if you think about laughter is incompatible with anxiety. Exactly. Well, yeah. mostly. Well, for the most part. Yeah. Unless it's nervous laughter. But yeah. yeah. But it's like if someone's laughing at you. Yeah. So if you've tuned into how they're feeling you've calmed down a bit they've still got worries about what it is that you're supposed to be doing and you've got the time this one's one where you like you really need some time problem solving is the next bit with anxiety so often we miss that bit often we help kids calm down and then off they go and then they encounter the issue again and they don't know how to sort it out they know how to calm themselves down but they don't know how to get through the thing that was causing the anxiety hmm So I'm thinking, for example, meeting new friends when they start school. They might have calmed down on their way to school and then they get into the situation where they're talking to someone new and that kind of social anxiety perks up again Mm -hmm. and they go, I don't know what to ask them. I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. And Mm -hmm. they just go quiet. If you've had been able to sort of help work through, what are you going to do in that situation? Mm. Like when you meet someone, what could you tell them about or... Could you ask them to go and play or what ideas do you have? So the idea is to try and help them brainstorm ways that they can cope with the situation that they're anxious about. Mm. But a lot of the time we don't have time for that. So that's why I say when when they're calm and when you have time. Mm. Strike while the iron is cold. Exactly. Mate, yeah. Is probably what I'd say. Yeah. And, and I think on the flip side to that is what a lot of parents do is they miss out on the exactly. calming yeah. and they jump to problem solving. Or the labelling. And often that's well, all kids like, need. Yeah, but like separation. Like I watch mm-hmm. children be dropped off at school and their their parents get locked in negotiation. Yeah. And the negotiation always fails. Yeah, because right? it hasn't addressed the core emotional yeah, well, Because the, 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 the child is not lowered. No. Like their anxiety is not lowered. And so they can't think in a more practical, rational way, yeah. right? And you see this with adults, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, you, you, if someone you work with is getting stressed about something, you go, oh, well, how about you do this? Or how about you do that? Mm-hmm. What do they do? Yeah. The adult then goes, no, I can't do it because of this reason. No, yeah. I can't do it because of that reason. No, that won't work. Right. And, if and so everything's rejected. Yeah. Yeah. And if your kid is at the point of incredibly anxious, like I'm talking the ones who hyperventilate are shaky panicky if they're really really angry destroying things like that level of emotion the thing that happens in our brains as well is that the connection between the part of our brain that can understand language and the rest of our brain stops and so all they can hear is tone of voice they can't process words and you see the same thing in adults when they have panic attacks or people who've been through trauma when they're having flashbacks they can't process words. And so that's why the prosody sing song is really important because we can hear the sing song so we can know, okay, we're not in danger, but we, even if we can't hear the content of the words. So, yeah, you need to be calm and able to do it. Mm. The perfect thing to do is to like 
do the soothing thing and then shift the scenery a little bit go hey how about we go get a glass of water or a snack or whatever and we'll figure this out Hmm. and sit and talk so it's i'm putting the focus on you we're going to have this conversation but that doesn't happen most of the time because there are other kids well yeah but also like you can't i i guess the thing i i would say to you straight up though amy is that you can't do that at school drop off no you can't do that exactly which is why it's not a time it's not one you can do everywhere it's a when there's the opportunity to help yeah. do that and when there's time, but that this isn't going to be something you can do yeah. most times. If you can have a conversation with a kid about working out a problem you know, once a week or two, you, mm. that's awesome. It's just getting well, like that's starting. Right because most, most parents don't, will never, never get that solution. No. Maybe once a year. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's also not about giving them the answer. Ideally it's, Let's come up with ideas together and you can help shift them towards something that's reasonable. Mm. So often kids will go too big. Mm. So for example, last week I was talking to a kid who was starting at a new school, was going to meet some new friends. And I said, okay, so how are you, what are you going to, okay, what's the plan? And he's like, well, I'm going to, going to take my favorite toy in and we're going to play with it. And it's like, okay, dude, but you're going into the classroom and the teacher's going to be there and they're going to want you to do some schoolwork. What are you going to do with the toy? And then they were kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, that's probably not. And then they sort of went, oh, hang on. Mum won't let me take that expensive toy to school. I'm like, oh, so what are we going to do? Yes, it helped. So it helped to step through. I'm going to just rewind. Reasonable. I'm going to rewind. Yeah. Get you just to say something. I just want you to say it again for the listeners, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is whose responsibility is it to get to solve the problem? Ideally, you want the answer to come from the kid. Yeah. So it's not the parents. No. Right, so I guess what I'm trying to get there is, is if you're a parent, mm. like you, it's not your responsibility to solve the right. kid's problem. And you're, it's so tempting. It's really tempting, <laughs> so tempting because you, as a parent, can see the solution. Yeah. Right. You, you as a parent, I think what Amy is saying through all this stuff, and I'm really, I hope, hopefully, I'm not mansplaining this whole <laughs> thing, um, but is that it's the parent's job to soothe and calm. Yeah. Not to solve. And the. The reason why this stuff is important is that we initially learn how to soothe in co-regulation with our parents. So with our parents, our parents calm and they show us how to calm. And then over time that becomes an internalized thing that then we do that for ourselves. So then as we become adults, we can then do that for ourselves. And it's the same with problem solving. If you jump in and give your kids the answers all of the time, then they don't learn how to step through figuring out what's reasonable. Mm. But again, there are times when things like safety or time pressures or whatever will get in the way and you just have to make the decision. Mm. But where you can, having those discussions with them about what's doable. And so it should be a doable thing that's safe and that ideally is something that they're doing because often kids will come up with something like, I'll go to the party and it'd be really great because Jack's going to come up to me and say this. And you're kind of like, well, we can't control what Jack does. Mm. So you, you want to help them figure out what control they can have in the world. What if we yell at Jack and tell Jack to do it? Yeah, Jack, you need to say this thing. <laughs> really important. To finish up, I just wanted to briefly talk about when to get some help. Okay. So a few warning signs or some signs that, maybe this stuff isn't working or anything you've tried before isn't working 
is if they're anxious a lot. So we're talking, you know, multiple days a week or it's happening throughout the day. It comes and goes all of the time. It's not an unusual thing for them to be anxious. That might be time to to get some help from a psychologist. The other time is if they're not able to calm down for a prolonged period. So there'll be some kids where they get anxious and then you help them calm down and then you're good. Like it's a quick you know, five, ten minutes, you're okay. Others will stay anxious for an hour, two, three. Some of them will be anxious for a day before then they're actually able to calm down from that initial trigger. And those, th- those times are when you should get some help. The other one is if you can't do things you'd normally do as a family because of their anxiety. So if it's getting in the way of going to family events, taking them to school, you can't leave the room, you can't leave them with a babysitter or a family member, uh, you're sleeping in their room or vice versa mm, because of their anxiousness. If you are sleeping yep. and your child is at school, yep. <laughs> go and get some help. Yeah. And then the last one I want to add in, it, it wasn't on my notes, but it's been coming up a lot lately professionally and then also even in things like group supervision and stuff like that, it seems to be happening to a lot of kids since COVID is if you're noticing your kid doing any repetitive behaviors like counting things, washing their hands repeatedly, getting really upset if things are out of order, that that controlling OCD vibes, that's pretty hard to shift on your own. Mm. And so if you can go and get some help with that early, it can be a reasonably short treatment period to just get them off that. And I think what's happening is they've had no control. And so it's going into stuff like that. We're yeah. seeing a lot more of that kind of behavior. Yeah. Was there anything that you wanted to add in before we wrap up? I mean, I think I think just on that last bit, like to think about if you are seeing those things going on with your child, mm. then have a, have a think about for you as the parent, because I work with adults. Mm. And so, so the conversations I have will be like, oh, my child's anxious. Yeah. Right? And I'll often be like, well, it sounds to me like you're anxious about your health problem. Mm right you're anxious about your cancer yeah. why wouldn't they be anxious yeah. right yeah i'm generally more gentle than that <laughs> but you know so when i th- think like if you're noticing something's up with your kid yeah right then the rush will be oh i've got to oh you know i need to fix this problem or this is really irritating mm. you, these are the two common yeah. responses and what i'd be thinking about is Focus on yourself as a parent, yeah. right? If you're calm or calmer, your child's anxiety might reduce or disappear. Mm. Or even if it doesn't, you will be a better place to deal with it. Exactly. So, I mean, so, I mean this, is not, probably, this is where I'm an adult, adult yeah. psychologist, not a, not a child psychologist. Well, but I think what's often, it kind of ties into what's often a surprise to parents when they bring their kids in for anxiety is that, if you're seeing a child psychologist and your kid is, well, it's it's more if they're younger, but pretty much if they're in primary school or younger, you're going to be asked to do some of this stuff and to be involved in the process and to be yeah, There's an no dropping them off. The child psych fixes them. It's like, you're no. going to be involved, dude. And it's often quite a shock yeah. for parents because they're kind of like, yeah. but they're the ones who need to fix these things. But actually, as adults, we have so much more control than kids and we can do so much more about their environment than what they can do about it themselves. So it kind of comes in to that. And occasionally it is the role of a child psychologist to say, 
hey, I think maybe it's time for the parents to go and see someone. And that's often a bit of a shock as well. But mm. it falls into that same same yeah. kind of thing of going, oh, let's see where who might benefit the most from some help right mm. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so before we cut to things we came across, Amy, last word, tell me, what do you hope people have been able to get out of this? I hope that they've learned a bit about anxiety and are starting to get the feeling that if their kid's anxious, there are things that they can mm. do because it can be pretty overwhelming yeah. and that some of these things can be quick and in the moment. It doesn't have to be a big, long, drawn-out mm-hmm. process. So it yeah. can be achievable. So a couple of things that come to mind are good enough parenting, mm-hmm. right? So you don't have to be perfect parent. Nope. In fact, you only have to be 51% good mm-hmm. 51% of the time, which yep. is probably about 33%. Probably right? about that, <laughs> right? yeah. Um, is, is that kind of idea, right? Yeah. The other thing that is uh, I probably haven't been able to hide it in my voice, Yeah. Um, but these, these strategies will not feel like they're going to work. Nope. Right? And they'll and, feel uncomfortable. And and, and yeah. you, you will be anxious as a parent or frustrated. Yeah. But when you are feeling that, then that probably means that you're trying something new mm. and you're, getting, you're feeling a bit uncomfortable. And that means that you're going into a new space, mm. right? And psychologists, as, we, as I've said on so many pods, we are about change. Yeah. Right, we're in the business of change. Yeah. If you listen to this pod, this episode in particular, you are interested in change. And so You've this, started. Is a, this is about yeah. you trying something and accepting that it might not work. It might not work the first time, but it's about trying something new. Exactly. So, Well, we're going to cut to things we came across, yeah. uh, which is our more relaxed parlor segment. <laughs> I know some people tune out this bit. I think also some people generally zip forward to it. <laughs> I'm really happy with mine this time. I'm really excited. <laughs> let's, let's have a break. But as we try to widen and make more consistent our description of what we see, as it gets wider and wider and we see a greater range of phenomena, the explanations become what we call laws instead of simple explanations. All right, so cheers. Uh, This is the break. Thanks for um, sticking around. Um, This is just where we have a bit of a ramble. Mm. I really like this whiskey. It's quite good. I I feel like it's... Starwood, which is in Melbourne. We're drinking the twofold double grain. If anyone at Starwood Distillery (laughs) wants to um, send us a bottle uh, to taste and discuss, (laughs) starwood.com.au. I feel like it's the my equivalent of the Melbourne gin. Like in terms of like a mm. easily drinkable at any time. Yep. Every time nothing too much. You, you know what happens to me at the moment is I go to the, I go to the gin section of the of you know um of Father Dan's. Yeah. And, and I look at all the things and I always go for the same gin. Like and then and then yep. and the, the era of gin will be over and I won't have tried anything new. Anyway. Yeah. Uh two shrinks pod. <laughs> If you like, if you like the episodes, um, then please do tell someone about the show. Yep. We had a really amazing response to the last episode, which was on 
Uh, it was a very practical one. It was on stress and burnout for healthcare workers. And we can see with the listeners' numbers that it was just absolutely through the roof. Yep. So if you ever have an idea about something that you think would be relevant, then please let us know to shrinkspod.gmail.com or on Twitter. And this time of year is ideal because we're in that mode of like, I wonder what we'll do next year. Mm. So we, We've kind of got, we're going to do a review show and then that's in the year and then... Look, 2022 seems a little vague Daunting. in terms of <laughs> podcast planning. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, we'll figure it out. Let's go, let's go to things we came across. Sounds good. Okay. And so we're back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go first, but do you want to introduce... This segment to people who have not listened to it. This segment is all about the weird articles you stumble across when you're looking for something else. Yeah. Occasionally, though, given what our work lives look like these days, it tends to be something that sticks in our head that we kind of wonder, is that a thing? And then end up (laughs) somewhere weird. Yes. So, it's December. Yeah. And so, I... I looked at the, in the psychology article search engine, Mm -hmm. PsychInfo, I just typed in Christmas. Sure. Right. I was thinking like Christmas research, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like when we did that episode that was just Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. But she's like, just like, sometimes it's like, just the weird crap that comes out. Mm -hmm. Like, so time cycles of homicide in the early modern Nordic era. Like, la, 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 la. like, it's just like, like, how is that? And I think the late, like, I think there was Christmas mentioned in the abstract in yep. terms of like homicides, like homicides in in like in the 1600s. I'm like, I mean, that's sure, yeah. like, good. I'm, I'm sure, Some dedication. I'm sure that's relevant. Mm. Right, anyway, so that's what you're going to tell us about. No, uh, I'm no? not. <laughs> uh, question. Yes. Um, Christmas spending. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, are you someone that do you think you lean into spending at Christmas time? Do mm. you are you more spendthrift like like compared to other people? What what what's your kind of gut feeling to goes on for people? I think or for you. I think for me, I for a proportion of people, I lean in, mm. and it's more about finding the right thing. And then for a proportion of people, there's more kind of like. I want to find a bargain. Yep. 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 So it, it kind of, it splits and the closer it gets to Christmas, the more I lean towards who cares what the cost is because I just need, I need to get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's December 23 and like, like whatever I need to. My sister, yep. first week of November, she'll message everyone and go, mm. so what's happening Christmas present wise? And I freak out every year and go, it's November. Mm. Stop. And they've got it organized. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and so it's interesting to think about who does that, but also like, so you usually make gifts there, but mm. what about just spending in the Christmas period? Oh yeah, I'm far more because yeah. I go to more social things. Yeah, I you end up going well. You know, I guess if I'm going to have a couple of drinks, I may as well get an Uber, and then like all of those things where normally I'd go, well, no, I'll be sensible. Yeah, I think like I think for me, there's like an element like the sort of the the financial apocalypse of the Christmas season, yeah. and so the, at some point. I just stopped caring. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of anxiety uh, and then it just. Yeah. And then after. after submission. After, <laughs> look, we, we were going to record this a few days ago on the weekend and yeah. I, I'd had. Had a binge. I'd gone, I'd gone. Look, it wasn't a binge in that like, well, I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just say 
there'd been a lot of spending that gone on and it wasn't all planned. Yeah. So the, the, the article is, Who Are the Scrooges? Mm-hmm. Personality Predictors of Holiday Spending. Nice. It's by Sarah Weston and colleagues in Social, Psychological and Personality Science in 2019. So they talk about in Western countries, the holiday season evolved from a time devoted to religious celebration and family to one associated with materialism, consumerism and excess. Mm-hmm. So, and they talked about the... They say, oh, you know, however, the psychological factors underlying changes in spending behavior over this period have, have not really received much attention. Mm-hmm. They talk about there's research on socio-demographic characteristics, money management skills, psychological factors such as self-control. They're all known mm. to be contributors to variance in holiday spending. And they talk about like how, however, empirical studies of consumption behavior not previously been evaluated in context of the big five personality network. So uh, what that means in English is that psychologists have identified five attributes or or characteristics of personality that you can measure most people's personality on. There's neuroticism, extroversion, openness to experience. Agreeableness. Agreeableness and consciousness. Yeah. Um, Thinking about you know, holiday spending. Holiday spending could be associated with traits relevant to financial or occupational achievement. Mm-hmm. So people who are conscientious or have high openness to experience might be, you know, those things are known to be related to, you know, earning more money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you think about someone who's conscientious with their spending, mm. right, or conscientious in the way they kind of do stuff, they might have more money, blah, blah, blah. And then potentially, yeah. like your your family member, yeah. Plan ahead, plan ahead time, right? yeah. which well, often means they end up saving money because they're able to access sales and poten- things like pot- that. Potentially, yeah. Or that, like, I often think it actually can backfire because they they spend for a longer period. Yeah. Or the, and then these authors talk about oh, well, holiday spending may be a function of socially relevant traits such as extroversion or mm-hmm. grimless. So, like what you're saying, you might go out mm. more during the Christmas period. And they even included a gag here. Organized gift givers may prepare lists of recipients and potential gifts ahead of time. Some may even check the list twice. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. Um, So the method I thought was really, really interesting. Mm. I I never sort of thought about this, but I guess in the modern era. So there was a money management app. I don't actually Mm. say the name of it where it gives you a dashboard of money in and money out across yep. all your accounts. So you might have like multiple accounts and this would give you like a, a dashboard of it all, right? Mm-hmm. Users of this app were sent a link um, asking about the survey yep. and you could win a computer tablet. Okay. 2,133 people responded and then they were sent a 10-item measure of personality. So a very... Very brief. Very brief yeah. measure. Normally that's, you know, runs at about 100, yeah. 100 questions or something. And then what they did is they looked at 12 months of spending, right? So they granted them access to the data. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, it, it was all de-identified and all that yeah. kind of stuff, right? And so our 2.2 million transactions. Wow. Right? So that's roughly 1,270 transactions per month per person, right? <sighs> Right, and so what they looked at is holiday spending. They classed as November to December, so sixty-one days. Mm-hmm. So they, so what they did is they calculated the average daily spending from January to October, and then multiplied that by sixty-one. Yep. And that was the two-month comparison of you know how much mm-hmm. you spent, and then they compared that with 
what spent in November to December, right? So it was really like a really Makes sense. neat way. And then they did some stuff about looking at income as well. And better than self-report. Yeah. Estimating well, or whatever. Well, sort of they talk about later on about like, well, it's different to self-report mm. in that, you know, there, there could be some bias there because like if you live in a household, you know, like this is linked to individuals, not households. Households, So yeah. there, there could be some error there. But anything that's not self-report, mm. I always think is very, really interesting. Yeah. Something objective. It's not something that we do a lot in psychology. No, it's much better. Yeah. So results indicate that when you controlled for finances and demographic covariance, mm-hmm. that more nervous and stress reactive participants, so high neuroticism, spent less during the holiday season. Makes sense. And as did those with more artistic interests and active imagination, so high openness, mm. right? So they think with the high openness, they, they think those people are typically low in conventionality and traditionalism. And so maybe they less likely to conform to societal norms around gift giving. Mm. Right. So I, I think also, you know, maybe they're more creative and so they're making gifts or something. Yeah. That's like what that, I was right? thinking. Yeah. Um, the, the measure of neuroticism that they used is if you were low on that, then you would be more relaxed and not easily unnerved. Mm. And so you may be less, inclined to spend money on expensive social events or purchasing the perfect gift for others, right? Mm. So if you're low in neuroticism, you might be more likely to spend money freely, yeah. right, essentially, untethered by the pressure and fear of disappointing others. Mm-hmm. What's that like? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, the, Neither of us. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. The, uh, the, when if they just looked at like this, I'm just gonna <laughs> push on through. The um, they looked at like the the zero order correlation, so that's like pre controlling, mm-hmm. and they they found that there was a positive association with extroversion. So maybe perhaps having a larger social network mm-hmm. in which to spend holiday stuff. So if you're mm-hmm. more extroverted, you're probably going out more or something. Yeah, going and, to more parties and conscientiousness. So perhaps being more organised mm-hmm. regarding holiday events. What was interesting, they looked at spending across the christmas period right but they didn't find find the personality traits predicted like the day of spending of okay policy. so like because you, you could think like do some personality types spend more like at christmas eve yeah <laughs> you know because yeah. they're fucked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're at the 24-hour shopping events just yeah, cramming yeah. it in yeah. you know and that, they had some interesting things around like well you know if we used a better measure we you know like on of personality then we could look at sub traits mm-hmm. right and that might be better to pick up things around conscientiousness yeah that kind of stuff mm-hmm. or like and also like like refining the the measures of spending and income and yep. things like that but i thought that was interesting that's really interesting where are you taking us i i'm going local so i got this idea from a twitter post by dr amy marshall who had learned about the australian bunyip do you know about the bunyip mm. yeah and she'd, she'd freaked out about it and, and been going, you know, how is it that there are these horrendous creatures in Australia? And even when they're not real, they're sort of, you know, they make up new ones. Mm. And as is Australian law, I responded by making her aware of drop bears. Because <laughs> this is necessary. Yep. I, I sent her this picture. Yes, it's yes, terrifying. Yes. It's terrifying. I'll, I'll post it. But in the process, I thought, well, you know, she's, She's a therapist. She probably is going to want some sort of backing to this. So I attached a link 
to this article, mm-hmm. which is called Indirect Tracking of Drop Bears Using GNSS <laughs> Technology by Volker Jansen in 2019 in Australian Geographer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we're going. So the drop bear is an arboreal predatory marsupial that closely resembles the koala. <laughs> you okay there? No, so I'm just thinking this can be very terrified and confused overseas listeners. That's uh, it. I'm hoping that in the method, when we get there, they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Okay. Yeah. Good, good. It's a strongly built animal with powerful forearms and claws, has large canine teeth that are mm. used very effective to bite. Mm-hmm. It hunts prey larger than itself and it jumps on top of the prey, stunning them. Usually um, campers. Yeah, particularly yeah. international. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a big part of this. Mm. Um, and then they bite them on the neck to kill them, maim them, etc. Well, yeah, my, my understanding was that they, we just know that they attack, but we don't know what actually happens because no one ever finds the bodies. Funny you should say that. <laughs> the, the authors say that there are a, a plethora of disappearances that may or may not be attributed to drop bears. Yep. Which include Harold Holt, 1967. That was a drowning accident. <laughs> Do we or, know? Uh, okay, mm. continue. Hussey in 1989, which is Picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh, right. And Mulder and Scully, 2000. Who? Mulder and Scully. Really? X-Files. No, I think definitely Picnic Hanging Rock is this. Yeah, so those are three citations that go go with the disappearances. Mulder and Scully didn't come to Australia. Well, yeah, that's what I was suspicious about as well. Yeah, continue. We're getting to a bit as well. So they, they wanted to look at who gets targeted, whether international people more than Australians get targeted and how you protect yourself was a bit of the discussion. So in terms of protection, they say that the methods have been inconclusive. They cite Skywalker 2008, the Clone War Chronicles, about the Ewoks. (laughs) And they suggest that some people have tried things like wearing forks in their hair, spreading Vegemite behind the ears or under Mm, the armpits, mm, mm. urinating on themselves and avoiding talking in a foreign language. Not quite sure if that works or not. They also suggest that maybe there's an interaction between sweat and Vegemite. So the diet for Australians then means that it's kind of repellent. But for international people, it doesn't apply so much. So they suggest that you should apply a liberal amount of Vegemite behind and to the top of the ear as it's prone to sweating and it's closer to the top (laughs) of the head. This is not a peer review journal, (laughs) is it? No, it is. Okay. We're getting to how it was included. Sure. So they seem to be alert to foreign language, so it might help to use Aussie slang. It could also help to wear a motorcycle helmet while bushwalking to just protect the skull. Their final suggestion is to lie beneath a tree where drop burrs may be. Mm. Spit upwards, and if it's sleeping above, it'll wake up and spit back down onto you. But that could be risky. (laughs) All of these things had citations. I'm sure they did. So how do we know where they are? They decided to track... The prey, not the drop bears, because mm-hmm. they're a bit uncertain where the drop bears mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. In their words, they use several research assistants, brackets, mainly thrill-seeking international students in dire need of financial support. <laughs> yep. And they were equipped with GNSS sensors, which are like GPS okay. sensors, and set off on bushwalks. GNS? It was the end. Yeah, Global Network Satellite Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sent off off the beaten track and they were sent out on several days beginning on the 1st of April 2012. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. (laughs) 
So they used location data to map the attacks, identified six drop bears in the area, and then ran a study again with a paired Australian and non-Australian RA mm. at separate distances to see who were attacked. Yep. Only 10% of Australians were attacked, and interestingly, they were only the ones who didn't eat Vegemite. Yeah, right. So, mm. yeah. Mm. There's queries around seasonality and available availability of other food sources. They yep. need more research. There were no animals harmed, but the bushwalkers had occasional lacerations and severe bruising of the ego. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, due to the lack of research funding in Australia, they couldn't expand the research. Well, it's too dangerous. Yeah. They do need to understand other rare species, including bunyips and the Bundy bear, whose main prey appears to be young blonde women. The <laughs> <laughs> Bundy bear. It's like, why is there a polar bear drinking... Queensland rum, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Terrible rum. It is. Yep. Yep. So that's um, that's for Dr. Amy Marshall. Thank you, Dr. Marshall, for. Uh... <laughs> I enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is our last serious pod for the year. We are aiming to do a review episode coming up with. Mm-hmm. We promise the return of the gripe list. So and boy, uh, are we preparing? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> It's been it's been a good time of year. Mm. All right. Well, I've been Hunter, Amy, and uh, thanks for listening to Two Shots Pod. See, See you next time. time.